Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you You'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 30 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. If you would prefer to listen to our podcast a few days early without adverts, head to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. Listener caution is advised as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. In the American Embassy, the telephone rang. Special Agent Jacqueline Zappacosta picked it up. The call marked the end of a decade of crimes so bizarre that if they were translated into a book of fiction it would be deemed too outlandish to publish. Robert Freegard quit school in the mid-1980s. Since he was only 15 years old, he left without any qualifications. He got accepted on a joiner's youth training scheme at college after which he gained a job in construction while taking a carpentry course. After he completed the course, he left his job, his mother Roberta, and his hometown of Kilton in Worksop, Nottinghamshire behind to move the 100 miles southwest to Shropshire. He was moving in with his girlfriend Alison, a primary school teacher. But instead of a fresh start with the man she loved, Alison was fleeced. Freeguard had borrowed £1,500 from the young woman and unbeknownst to her he had gained access to her bank accounts and was paying her back in cash from her own money. She reported the theft and said in the police report that Freeguard tried to kidnap her. He narrowly avoided prison. 
though there was enough evidence to gain a conviction, the judge let the charge lie on file as he didn't think it was in the public interest to proceed. The next year in 1993, Robert Freegard successfully applied for a job as a part-time barman in the Swan Pub in Newport, Shropshire. The pub was often filled with drinkers the same age as Freegard, students from the nearby Harper Adams Agricultural College. There, Freegard met Maria Hendy. They started dating, and she introduced him to her friends and housemates. Maria was living in a shared home with five other people. One of the lodgers was John Atkinson. Over the next few months, Robert and John struck up a friendship as John spent time in the Swan and Robert beguiled the household with tall tales over dinner. He was charismatic as he recounted fanciful stories and bold claims. He seemed to get away with it. He started off with small lies, not too elaborate. Maybe he was testing the water. The first... He was related to John Taylor, the bassist in Duran Duran. The lie seemed harmless enough. As the months passed, John Atkinson began to change. Once a promising student, on the last year of his course, he was acting out of character. He bleached his brown hair a harsh peroxide blonde and took to wearing a loud shirt. Another day he dressed as a cowboy and unprovoked punched a friend in the face and then publicly declared his undying love for a second. Outwardly, John's behaviour was becoming peculiar. His friends didn't see the bruises that marked his body under his new outlandish clothes. John and Robert had been staying late in the Swan and it wasn't to have after-hours drinking sessions at the bar. Robert took John to the basement where he punched John over and over again, warning him not to react. Robert's reasoning? John needed to toughen up and learn some self-control. Robert had fed John a monumental lie. He claimed he was on a mission. He had been chosen to infiltrate an Irish Republican army cell in the college. Story made plausible by reports of suspected IRA terrorist and former pupil of the college, Kevin O'Donnell. O'Donnell was a prime suspect in an IRA bomb attack at Clive Barracks in Turnhill, Shropshire. The bombs ripped through the building, bringing the structure crashing to the ground and starting a ferocious blaze. The force of the blast wrecked cars and was felt half a mile away. Fifty soldiers were asleep in this block as the two bombers entered the barracks and planted the bombs. Soldiers staring at the devastated building must have been well aware that many might have died but for the vigilance of a sentry who spotted two men acting suspiciously here and challenged them. Three years later, a year before John met Robert, O'Donnell was killed in a shootout with the SAS in Northern Ireland, bringing the whole incident to the public's attention again. John Atkinson was sworn to secrecy by Freeguard and complied with the whims of his new friend as he now believed his life was in danger. Robert Freegard suggested his friend John date his fellow housemate Sarah Smith. John and Sarah would double date with Robert and his girlfriend Maria Hendy. One day, Robert proposed the foursome go on a road trip around England. The reason for the trip? John was seriously ill with cancer 
and it would be a final farewell. When they were due to leave at the end of March 1993, Freeguard became sick and spent some time in hospital. Maria Hendy stayed by his side, while John and Sarah travelled to a friend's farm until the other two could join them on their tour of the country. But John didn't have cancer. Robert Freeguard had convinced him to lie. Now, he had the three away from their friends, tutors and parents. While on the road, Robert broke some startling news. He was part of the Secret Service. He later claimed even more shockingly that now, due to their association with him, the IRA had taken out contracts on each of their lives. Contact with their families was now out of the question. Robert claimed their phones were tapped. To call would put their group and their families in danger. They quit their studies and were now on the run. Over the years that followed, Robert would chip away at the mental state of his friends, warning the trio not to trust the police as they were undercover agents for the IRA. The friends moved from house to house, but settled in a flat in Sheffield for a while. Using false identities, they each worked low-paying jobs to stay under the radar and often lived in squalid conditions. The earnings they received were paid straight to Robert Freeguard. In return, he gave them the bare minimum to live on. He was so controlling, they had to ask Robert if they could use the bathroom and when they could eat. At one point while working in a chip shop, Sarah Smith would devour the leftover chip batter to ward off her hunger. When Robert Freeguard wasn't around, he was working a part-time job in car sales and could often be gone for weeks at a time, telling his friends he was on a secret mission of the utmost importance. John Atkinson was finally permitted to contact his parents, but only to ask for money. Desperate to protect his son, his father, a wealthy farmer, reportedly parted with £300,000 over the years, leaving him financially crippled. Sarah Smith's loved ones also reportedly handed over £200,000. Unbelievably, her family and friends, who were also deceived, handed money over to Robert after being convinced it would put an end to Sarah being in danger from the IRA. Robert Freeguard gave his word the police would pay them back in full once the mission with the Secret Service was complete and the threat was over. As they moved around the country, Sarah took jobs in hotels, fish and chip shops, pubs and as a cleaner, but they didn't stay at each property long before they up and ran again in fear of their lives. The group was eventually split up and Sarah was moved from one of these safe houses by car and told to put a bucket over her head so she couldn't be recognised. At one stage, Robert Freeguard convinced Sarah to spend three weeks hiding out in the bathroom of one of these properties. She became so desperate she considered suicide by hanging herself from the shower. Maria Hendy continued to date Robert Freeguard. He changed his name by deed poll to adopt her last name, and he was known from then on as Robert Hendy Freeguard. They had two daughters, 
but this didn't make her immune from his ruthless behaviour. Maria and the children lived in a small flat in Sheffield. Like Sarah and John, Maria's family and friends had parted with large sums of money. The funds went into her bank account, but Robert Hendy Freeguard was the only one with access. Maria was left struggling with a pittance to support herself and the two children. She was abused both physically as well as mentally. Maria Hendy said she was instructed to lie to her dentist, telling them a tumble down the stairs had knocked some of her teeth out. But the missing teeth were the result of a beating from an enraged Hendy freeguard. In an incident when their daughters were babies, Robert had abandoned them penniless in a hotel room when Maria's family refused to part with another £10,000 to pay for the wedding. It was a wedding that he had promised Maria for many years. They never married and finally separated in November 2001 after eight years together. In fact, Robert Hendy Freeguard was engaged to a number of other women around the same time. In 1997, John Atkinson had left Hendy Freeguard's control and returned to his parents. His family agreed it would be best for John to move on rather than report what had happened to the police. While he had convinced Sarah, John and Maria he was away on missions, Robert Hendy Freeguard was actually using their money to fund a lavish lifestyle and to wine and dine his next victims. He had the best of everything, handmade leather shoes and top-of-the-range sports cars with every available extra. A car salesman who sold Hendy Freeguard cars said if he could have a diamond-encrusted cigarette lighter, he would have. Car salesman Mark Endersby described what a meticulous customer Hendy Freeguard was. He'd be going through all different colours, different leathers, and holding the swabs up to each other and saying, do you think they match good? And then go through the list of the extras and ticking off everything he wanted. He recalled Hendy Freeguard's expensive taste. M3 coupes, convertibles, uh, all circa... £50,000 each. Money was spent frivolously on fine dining with women he planned on scamming. Hendy Freeguard was always attentive, making a note of their weaknesses which he would exploit at a later date. Leslie Gardner civil servant was 28 years old when she met Robert Hendy Freeguard on an evening out at a nightclub in Newcastle. Over the next six years, Leslie parted with £16,000. To save the man she loved, she sold her car on his behest so he could buy off some killers. He claimed the men from the IRA who had been released from prison under the Good Friday Agreement were now after him, but he could pay them off. In a second lie to bleed her dry, he claimed he needed money to pay off the police. On top of that, funds were required to start a new life as a taxi driver and with an extra tug of the heartstrings, help his gravely ill mother. She gave him money and sometime later he wanted to repay her by getting her a new Volkswagen Golf. It wasn't the kind gesture she first thought it was. Robert Hendy Freeguard set up the purchase through his job in car sales 
and even earned commission. It was purchased using her name, and three months later she found out. Leslie was left with months of unpaid finance, totaling £680. Elizabeth Bartholomew, a personal assistant and sales administrator at a Vauxhall dealership in Sheffield, met Robert Hendy Freegard in 1995. She was young and had married just six months earlier. She fell for his charm fast. He lavished attention on her, bought her expensive gifts, designer perfumes and meals out. The affair was exciting. She posed for nude photographs, but Hendy Freegard used her fear of the pictures being sent to family, friends and her husband as leverage to manipulate her. The honeymoon period in their relationship had quickly come to an end when his temper would flare up over the smallest things. He would become enraged if Elizabeth was ironing and left a crease in his shirt. She later said, He was like Jekyll and Hyde, a freak of nature. It got to the stage where his anger would make me so scared. He spun the same fantastical story to her about his life being in danger because the IRA were out to kill him. Elizabeth was warned for her own safety she had to end contact with her friends and family. She was also threatened if she didn't comply with Hendy Freegard's demands, the compromising photographs would be leaked. Over the next eight years, he made her life a misery. He told her to change her last name from Bartholomew to Richardson. The clerk at the deed poll office was told that she was molested as a child. She didn't want to be traced. She took out two loans in her name on separate occasions, one for £6,500 and the other for £8,000. She withdrew the money in cash. In both instances, when Hendy Freegard came to collect the funds, he didn't stick around. He left in a hurry claiming his superiors needed to see him urgently. Elizabeth was in love and she was told if she completed his loyalty tests, MI5 would eventually approve their marriage. In total, she handed over nearly £15,000 during their time together, but the money was the least of her worries. Her health would deteriorate, both mentally and physically. Robert Hendy Freegard had Elizabeth where he wanted her. He instructed her to change her appearance by throwing away all her makeup and bleaching her hair blonde. On a number of occasions, she was sent to Heathrow Airport with no money for days to wait for a government contact that never came. Elizabeth even slept homeless for weeks on park benches during the winter. Not satisfied, Hendy Freegard confiscated her coat leaving her out in the bitter cold wearing just jeans and a t-shirt. He gave Elizabeth one pound a week to live on and she barely survived, eating only a cheap loaf of bread and a Mars chocolate bar that she cut into slices. She drank water from public restrooms and the only warmth and peace she received was spending days in local libraries. Elizabeth was broken and Robert's demands were becoming more bizarre. On one occasion, she was given a bright red wedding sari and bangles and told to walk around London. On another, she had to pretend to be a Jehovah's Witness and approach strangers to talk about her newfound religion. No one was aware of what was happening. She didn't tell anyone, as her new fiancé made it clear that every move she made was being watched. 
Elizabeth didn't feel safe sleeping rough and would often walk about at night. Combined with little nourishment and stress, her health began to suffer. Her skin became covered in eczema and infected sores. She continued to do what Robert Hendy Freeguard commanded, but he said she kept failing the tests. Therefore, they were not permitted to live together or even have a physical relationship. Later, when police found her, Elizabeth was off the streets, but her home in the village of Dunton Bassett in Leicestershire was a hovel. She later told the BBC, This has all been so traumatically painful for me for so long now. I can't even remember what normal life is actually like. She recalled her old life and said, I find the fact that I used to be a PA very hard to believe, that I could carry out that role because there is no way that I could do that now. He has totally ruined me, broken me. My confidence is nil. I still have nightmares. I keep seeing his face every time I fall asleep. Renata Kister became another of Robert Hendy Freeguard's victims. The 32-year-old had recently separated from her partner and was seven months pregnant. The Polish company director wanted to purchase a new car, so went to a Volkswagen dealership in Sheffield, where Hendy Freeguard was now working. She bought a new vehicle, and the salesman she described as extremely well-mannered and a true gentleman became part of her life. Hendy Freeguard again spun the MI5 yarn explaining away his position in car sales as an undercover operation to watch someone who worked there. Soon he persuaded her to upgrade the car and he kept the £10,000 profit she earned from the trade. Never satisfied, he persuaded the expectant mother to take out a loan for £15,000, promising to pay her back in full when the money from his secret assignment came through. Robert began to look for a new place to stay for the two women under his control. He wanted to house both Renata Kister and Sarah Smith at the same address. Thirty-five-year-old Simon Young had met Robert Hendy Freeguard when Freeguard had visited his watch shop. They struck up a friendship and went out drinking numerous times. Simon wasn't immune from the Secret Service, MI5 and espionage fairy tales. His new friend offered him a job and training working for the government. Simon was tempted and he later said, Yes, I was interested in doing government work like this. Of course I was. It was every schoolboy's fantasy. Robert Hendy Freeguard soon had his new buddy doing outlandish loyalty tests. One test was specific in detail. Simon was told to travel to Manchester. The exact route via buses and trains was mapped out. The next step was to go to a particular shop and buy a tin opener that cost £1.25 exactly. Hendy Freeguard told him throughout his task he would be under constant surveillance. Part of his organised route was travelling to London. Hendy Freeguard's instructions became even more juvenile. Simon was told to purchase a copy of the Gay Times and read it openly on the train. 
the magazine had sold out at the station, so Simon continued with his journey regardless. The next step was yet another mind game to see how far he would go. Simon Young entered a pub in the West End and asked bar staff for a specifically named person. Simon thought it was all part of the elaborate MI5 test when the confused barman denied anyone with that name work there. Simon said, well when you see him, give him this. He then handed the barman the tin opener. Simon returned home and told Robert Hendy Freegard about his trip to London, who found the incident humorous. Humiliated, Simon requested to have a meeting with the people in charge of the test. His friends set up a day and time, but unsurprisingly Simon was the only one to turn up. He later stated, By that time, I disbelieved everything he said. Before their friendship ended, Hendy Freegard tried to convince Simon to give Sarah Smith temporary accommodation as he said she was part of a witness protection scheme. As him and Simon were now no longer on speaking terms, Robert found somewhere else for both Sarah and Renata to stay. To stop the women conversing, he told Renata that Sarah was Spanish and couldn't speak or understand a word of English. For security reasons, he instructed Sarah to act like she couldn't understand anything. The two women lived this way for three months, and in that time they didn't utter even a single sentence to one another. Again, the car sales forecourt was a hunting ground for Robert Hendy Freeguard. This time, he had his eye on solicitor Caroline Cowper. It was 2001. She had come to the showroom to trade in her Mercedes for a Volkswagen Golf. The two hit it off straight away, and when she filled out the customer satisfaction survey, she playfully marked Hendy Freeguard, 11 out of 10, in bed. The couple took luxury holidays always at Caroline's expense, and of course he unveiled his secret life as an MI5 spy. Robert proposed, Caroline said yes, and they chose a £6,000 engagement ring from Hatton Garden, which surprisingly... Andy Freegard paid for. A date was set for February 2nd, 2002, but the tide began to turn. Caroline still hadn't received thousands of pounds she was owed from her car trading. Andy Freegard promised to pay her back as soon as MI5 paid him. His audacity knew no bounds when he borrowed £1,500 from her to buy a car. The car never materialised. He said the vehicle had been commandeered by the Polish Mafia. He wrote off the debt by giving her a desk apparently worth £1,700. He had obtained a forged receipt to prove it. Caroline gave him yet more money to start a car leasing business they would run together, but eventually the couple split up when she discovered £14,000 was missing from her Building Society account. Caroline Cowper had had enough. She sued Hendy Freegard for £41,000. She dug into his private life and learnt about the other women and the lies about his undercover life. She went straight to the police. Caroline Cowper was going to start a fire that in time would leave Robert Hendy Freegard's life in tatters.
American child psychologist and author, 31-year-old Kimberly Adams came to England on a temporary work assignment. Her teenage son had moved in with his father to attend a better school, so he remained in America. Kimberly had a PhD and was welcomed into a role as a trained psychologist, counselling children in the south of England. She needed a vehicle to travel from each school, so in August 2002 she went to a local car showroom in Chiswick, West London. It was here where she met Robert Hendy Freegard. As soon as she entered the showroom, he charmed her. Her first impression of him was he had the most honest eyes. Hendy Freegard took his time. The after-sales calls became more personal, and he asked her out a few months later. He wined and dined Kimberly, treating her to meals in exclusive restaurants, and the couple went out for countryside drives together. Yet there was something that was niggling Kimberly. Hendy Freegard had a collection of mobile phones, five or six, but she could seldom get hold of him. Even though she hadn't planned on something serious, Kimberly began to fall in love. The couple moved in together, and Kimberly's mother Anne was excited about her daughter's new boyfriend, so flew to London from Phoenix, Arizona to meet him. It wasn't long before she could see the attraction, as Hendy Freegard was always charming. Kimberly's mother Anne said, He seemed to know how to talk to each person, so they felt very, very special. While holidaying in Marbella, Spain a year after their first meeting, he proposed to Kimberly on a cruise. In love and excited, they set a date. The drip-drip of Hendy Freegard's tall tales of espionage soon worked its way into their lives, and Hendy Freegard spoke of murdering a man who had discovered he was working undercover. He said the couple needed to get new identities and would now live in a lighthouse in the Hebrides off the northwest coast of Scotland to spy on Russian submarines for 25 years. Kimberly would later say, he said he was working undercover, infiltrating a very dangerous criminal network. I had no doubt he was telling the truth. A wedding date was set, though a week before, Hendy Freegard made a call to his soon-to-be in-laws calling it off. He said it wasn't safe for them to fly as he was privy to knowledge that an attack similar to 9-11 was going to happen. It was a year after the tragic terrorist attack and people were cautious, so Kimberly's parents agreed not to come to England. Coincidentally, something did happen which cemented their belief. Just two days before the planned wedding, terrorists had fired a missile that had narrowly missed bringing down an Israeli passenger jet. Hendy Freegard told Kimberly, MI5 and Scotland Yard would have to look at every detail of her past before they had clearance to move to the lighthouse in Scotland. He claimed that £35,000 she had in student loans was holding them back. He said that being in debt would make them a target for bribery. For the first time, Kimberly asked her parents for money to help clear the debt, and they agreed to wire the funds. The money was sent to an account that Hendy Freegard controlled. He told Kimberly it was going to be wired across to a secret agent's account, and in turn the agent would pay off the loan. He also told her it was essential that she detail all of her previous sexual encounters. Hendy Freegard flew into a rage when he found out Kimberly had kissed a friend of a friend at the beginning of their relationship. 
He told her he was going to find and kill the man and it would be her job to cut off his balls. He told her she was such an awful woman, it would be much better for her son to die than for her to be a mother. Andy Freegard then claimed to have organised a hit on the teenager and told Kimberly that she had sacrificed her son's life with her lies and that by the end of the night she would be glad to be dead. Kimberly would later say, I was completely terrified and physically shaking. She eventually told him she didn't want to live a secluded life in a lighthouse. He responded by saying if that's what she wanted, she would have to reimburse the government a total of £80,000 to cover the money they had lost making the arrangements for the move. After she was convinced to stay, she was told she could be an agent too. Kimberly called her father John Adams, a film producer who lived in Omaha, Nebraska, asking for another loan. This time a payment of £20,000 would be used for her to attend spy school. The money went straight to Robert Hendy Freegard's account, who blew it on a three-month European holiday with another of his fiancés. Kimberly was then asked for another £10,000 because Hendy Freegard had informed her she had failed her written exams and if she wanted to attend spy school, she would need to resit them. Her father, John Adams, had been sending money to his daughter for various things in between, and he had nothing more to give. John Adams was desperate to ensure his daughter was safe, but didn't have the funds to pay Hendy Freegard any more money. He had already parted with $150,000, the last of his savings. He took out a second mortgage on his home, sold some property he owned, and applied for loans. The emotional strain became too much, and so he turned to his ex-wife, Kimberly's mother, and her new husband in Phoenix, Arizona. They had won $11 million on the lottery. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Scotland Yard was on to Robert Hendy Freegard after Caroline Cowper reported him. They unearthed an extraordinary history of deceit and manipulation spanning a decade. That's when the phone in London's American Embassy rang and Special Agent Jacqueline Zappacosta with the FBI picked it up. It was Detective Superintendent Bob Brandon with the Metropolitan Police. She had worked with Bob on a number of cases after moving to London three years earlier. Agent Zappacosta would later say, Bob told me a story so incredible. I had no choice but to believe it. At first, the investigation trawled through Hendy Freegard's bank accounts, phone records and address history, but came up with nothing. They would need to take a different approach. During her time with Hendy Freegard, Kimberly Adams had only contacted her mother and stepfather when the couple needed money. Their phone rang and expecting it to be their daughter, they heard an unfamiliar voice. It was Jacqueline Zappacosta from the FBI who explained who she was and who she was investigating. Kimberly's mother's phone was tapped for six weeks before the investigation had a breakthrough. Andy Freegard had instructed their daughter to call as he wanted money. Kimberly's mother agreed she would give him the funds, but only in person. Here is Special Agent Jacqueline Zappacosta. As Kimberly would call up at Robert's behest and consistently ask for more and more money to pay for taking tests in spy school or uh, traveling and training for spy school, um, we started to deny her access to funds. He had ruined many people's lives. 
he had virtually done this unchallenged. A drop-off was arranged at Heathrow Airport, and the police were waiting. There was no sign of Kimberly. Robert was the only person there to greet Kimberly's mother on arrival. The police swooped in and Robert Hendy Freeguard was arrested, carrying a Polish passport. Kimberly was found by police. She was scared and in tears, waiting in a vehicle parked in the airport car park. She was convinced it was another test. She wasn't the only person to react this way. The whole story unfolded and amazed the officers and agents involved. Bob Brandon, the detective superintendent in the Metropolitan Police Force, called Hendy Freeguard the most accomplished liar he had ever encountered in his 25 years working for the police. PC Kathy Harrison, who had interviewed some of Hendy Freeguard's victims, spoke about Kimberly Adams. She said, Hendy Freeguard had told her that because of his MI5 role, people pretending to be police officers could swoop in on the couple, but they would be imposters and she should not cooperate with them. She was immensely traumatized, as were all the victims, and when she opened up it was unbelievable to hear how such a bright, intelligent woman had been so duped by this man. Robert Hendy Freeguard claimed his arrest was a conspiracy and wouldn't cooperate with police. He made it difficult to find the women that were still in hiding. Sarah Smith, who was now a cleaner in Chiswick, had changed her name to Carrie Rogers, and in June 2003, when the police came to tell her the last ten years of her life had been a lie, she didn't believe them. She was convinced they were IRA terrorists. When police found Renata Kister, she thought the officers were telling her lies about Robert Hendy Freeguard as part of an MI5 loyalty test. In January 2004, the case against Robert Hendy Freeguard was to go to trial, but the case collapsed. At the time, Hendy Freeguard was registered as living in Blythe, Nottinghamshire, and had disputes with several lawyers representing him before the trial started again ten months later. Hendy Freeguard, now 34 years old, appeared at Blackfriars Crown Court facing four charges of kidnapping. One charge for John Atkinson, a second for Sarah Smith, a third for Maria Hendy, and a fourth for Elizabeth Richardson. A charge of threatening to kill was applied to the case of Kimberly Adams, along with a string of charges which included dishonesty, ten counts of theft, five counts of obtaining a money transfer by deception, and three counts of procuring the execution of a valuable security by deception. His crimes were said to have been committed between March 1993 and May 2002. He denied all charges. Most of Hendy Freeguard's victims gave testimony from behind a screen. Godfrey Carey QC prosecuting said, Many times as you listen to the detail of this case, I anticipate that you will be astonished by his brazen deceit and by his cruel disregard for the many who have placed complete faith in his declarations. His actions, if true, beggar belief.
The jury of seven men and five women took four days to unanimously find Robert Hendy Freeguard guilty of two counts of kidnapping relating to John Atkinson and Sarah Smith and guilty of all charges relating to theft and deception. He was acquitted of the kidnapping of Maria Hendy and Elizabeth Richardson and threatening to kill Kimberly Adams. The judge Dava Pillay stated, You have been convicted by this jury upon overwhelming evidence of the most heinous pattern of offending against a number of victims, all of whom fell prey to your devious charm. It's plain to me that you are an egotistical and opinionated confidence trickster who has shown not a shred of remorse or compassion for the degradation and suffering to which your victims were subjected. Having regard to the previous physical and mental injuries your victims were made to suffer, I now give advance warning I am minded to impose a discretionary life sentence upon you. Labelling Hendy Freeguard a continuing danger, the judge said that women in particular were under threat. For the first count, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommended minimum term of seven and a half years, and on the second count, to life imprisonment with a recommended minimum term of ten years. Robert Hendy Freeguard would have to serve a total of nine years in prison, factoring in time served. The trial lasted eight months and cost over £2.5 million. Outside the court, lawyer for the Crown Prosecution Service Andrew West spoke about Hendy Freeguard and the victims in the case. He stated, I struggle to understand it, but he is very plausible, and even when he gave evidence he appeared very convincing. I think a lot of them will never recover. They have had years taken out of their lives, and it took a lot of courage for them to come and give evidence, knowing that they faced the astonishment of the world. Investigating Officer Detective Sergeant Bob Brandon said, Mr. Hendy Freeguard was an evil con artist. He ruthlessly exploited weaknesses in any of his victims. When he started, he'd be charming. He'd listen and listen, and find any weakness in character, any vulnerability, and then he would ruthlessly exploit that. When he had control of his victims, he went to whatever ends he possibly could to take all their money and all their dignity. Andy Freeguard lived a millionaire lifestyle, while his victims lived in abject poverty. Here is Bob Brandon talking to the press. Mr. Freeguard, in my opinion, was motivated by power. Uh, he's a, a fairly sad and pathetic individual, a second-hand car salesman who's achieved nothing in his life. Uh, and suddenly, by pretending to be a spy, he has power and control over people. Uh, and that's all that he's ever amounted to in his whole life. Uh, it's a shame that it's without foundation. He wasn't a spy. He wasn't a police officer. He was a sad, cruel individual. Jacqueline Zappacosta, the FBI special agent who was involved in the investigation to capture Hendy Freeguard, spoke about him to the media. She said, He was someone that was probably the best I have seen in my career at affecting deceit and subterfuge. He excelled at what he did. The agent described her pursuit of Hendy Freeguard and determination to bring him to justice as a once-in-a-lifetime career case. Caroline Cowper also spoke outside the court. She said, 
It was a shame the sentence could not have been longer. He is a danger to society. After the trial, John Atkinson also addressed the waiting press. He spoke about Robert Hendy Freegard and was reported as saying, This is somebody who ruins lives. He ruined my life and ruined many other people's lives. He put me through hell. It was degrading and humiliating. There were very serious things that he was lying about. You do not joke about the IRA. He is just sick. I have heard him described as a narcissistic psychopath and that seems to sit pretty well. It is all about himself. He will tell any lie just to get what he wants. John Atkinson went on to say he hit the ground with a bump when he discovered the truth about Hendy Freegard. He reflected, I have dealt with what has happened, and I have recovered pretty well, I think. So where are we now? There was no money left to pay back Robert Hendy Freegard's victims. Forensic psychologist Dr. Keith Ashcroft was interviewed and explained how Hendy Freegard's behaviour affected those people he manipulated. He said, Thought control works by drastically destabilising the victim's sense of self by getting them to forget their past lives, change their worldview, accept a novel, often warped version of reality. He explained that when a captor tries to brainwash their victim, they will often ensure the person being manipulated has a strong dependency to them. Here is Lawrence Allison, a forensic psychologist from Liverpool University, discussing the manipulation in this case. We might like to think that we're not susceptible to manipulation, but the reality is we all are. There are various processes involved in the, in, in the business of, of the manipulator that we're all potentially prone to. The thing I think is with this case is you have some very extreme examples of, of behaviour but it seems clear to me that they didn't emerge at the very outset of that relationship, that there was a gradual kind of progression. The four staff involved in Operation Lighthouse set up to capture Hendy Freegard were awarded commendations for their work in the case by the Metropolitan Police Commissioner. Detective Sergeant Mark Simpson was the officer in charge of the case. Detective Sergeant Bob Brandon was the investigating officer. Eileen Davis worked in the Economic and Specialist Crime Unit, along with FBI agent Jacqueline Zappacosta. Commissioner at the time Sir Ian Blair said, This was a fantastic investigation and a perfect example of what can be achieved by the law enforcement liaison between our two countries. Less than two years after Robert Hendy Freegard's conviction, in April 2007 an appeal against the kidnapping charges was heard at London's Court of Appeal. Tim Owen QC argued on behalf of his client that the two kidnapping charges were incorrect. He said the offence of kidnapping required, in law, deprivation of a victim's liberty and free will, and there was no evidence of this in the case against his client. He said... At no point were any of the individuals literally detained. At no stage did Mr. Hendy Freegard purport to arrest any of the individuals, although he lied to them about his situation. The appeal judges agreed, and the two kidnapping convictions were quashed. 
Endy Freegard's life sentence was revoked, but a sentence of nine years was still upstanding for the other convictions. With time spent in custody and good behaviour, he was eligible to leave early in November of that year. Sarah Smith was asked about her time with Robert Hendy Freegard. She said, Do I ever look back on my time with Freegard and think I was gullible? Of course I do, but that's the beauty of hindsight. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. To keep up to date with news on the podcast, you can follow us on our social media accounts. We're on Facebook and Instagram under They Walk Among Us podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.